Thank you, everybody. Yes, we are starting this, uh, this new series, Firm Foundations, the aim of which is that we would be sure of our foundations. It's really important to be sure of foundations. What you can see in the background there, the photo, is somebody laying foundations in the modern style. Foundations you may have thought of all biblical, that's like bricks and cornerstones. Here's a modern equivalent laying the concrete foundations with the reinforcement and so on upon which to build a solid structure. So I've got a number of things I need to do today just to introduce you to this topic. It comes from two verses only. Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. If you've got a blue Bible, that's on page 1204. So that's where we are with that. But we are actually going to, um, we're going to start off with the first episode, if you like, Dead Acts. And if you look at those two verses, you might see those words appearing in there. But I really need to give you an introduction to Hebrews, okay? So, Hebrews introduction. First of all, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, okay? It's been postulated in the past that it might have been Paul, but you know, it's not his style. It's not written in the kind of way he would write things or the kind of thoughts that he would write about. It is, however, written in very good Greek. This person is clearly educated. Um, They know their Old Testament extremely well. They are a good, strong teacher as well. Um, they use the Greek Septuagint for the uh, for the text they use, so they're probably a Greek-speaking, that is a Hellenistic Jew, for those of you who are interested in history, and writing to similar Greek-speaking Jews. He is also clearly a Christian who has thought through deeply the relationship of his faith in Jesus to his maybe his upbringing in Judaism. Who is he writing to? To Jew- Jew- Jewish Christians. A fairly intellectual group, because of the way he writes this, he wanted them to understand, that's obviously been established for a while, and who should, by this time, have been mature. But actually, they're withdrawn. They're inward-looking. They're they're not outward-looking. They seem to be beginning to turn their back uh, on on the way, and maybe start to go back to the Judaism of their youth and their former lives, at least in some of its practices. The writer wants to remind them of what they have in Christ and how that is far better. This is what the message says in its introduction. If you have a message Bible, you'll see this at the beginning, uh, maybe, of of your chapter, or maybe of of the book. The letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage Christians in a time of trial. It does so by focusing on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. While God spoke in the past many times and in many ways, he has now spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, who is the exact imprint of God's nature and who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It continues, Jesus accomplished complete salvation for all who trust in him. We dare not neglect such a great salvation. Rather, In our faith and our everyday living, we should imitate the example of Christ and of those on the honor roll of faith. So it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to keep in the way, not to turn back. And at the same time, it contains plenty of warnings against falling away. And it's in that kind of light that we start to see 
um, the writer speak at this time. I want to just quickly summarize with one verse from each section the kinds of things that the writer is talking about here. So if you've got a Bible, go back to the beginning, Hebrews 1. If you've got an NIV, you'll see these titles appearing. So this is the, the summary, if you like, of what the writer is trying to say they should have. They should understand this. We should know what this is all about. First of all, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is God's only son. He's higher than any angels. And from the beginning, it has always been about Jesus. Son of God, Lord of Lords. Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. Who else has such a place? Who else is able to save us? Hebrews 1, uh, 8 and 9 says this. But about the Son of God, he says... Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Lord, we just give you thanks for that right now. Thanks for that. Thank you. But then the next thing he says, he talks about the humanity of Jesus. Don't get carried away thinking that God is so far apart that you can never, ever approach him. Because Jesus came fully human. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, the writer says this, for this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to keep those who are being tempted. Jesus was fully human. Jesus knows what it's like. Therefore, we can reach out to him. But then he moves on to the next theme in Hebrews 2. Jesus is greater than Moses. Remember, he's he's talking to, to Jewish people steeped in Judaism who would have revered Moses. He's saying Jesus is far greater than Moses. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, talking to his brothers and sisters in the faith, also in Judaism. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Moses had an important part, he's saying, in building your faith. But you know what? Look to the architect. Look to the one who who, who created that in the beginning, not the builder. He then encourages them not to fall into unbelief. 
in, also in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Church, we've got to encourage each other. As long as today is today, you've got to encourage each other. Okay, and that's what he's saying to them. Don't watch out for each other. Don't fall into unbelief. Remind each other of the amazing, incredible thing that God has done through his son, Jesus. Then he talks about Sabbath rest. He says, look, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. I'll come back to that. Just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. There is a Sabbath rest. A rest from works. Jesus has brought us the most amazing freedom and gift. You, me, we, we don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to go through rituals and practices. He has done it. We're going to come back to that as a theme. But there's rest, Sabbath rest, not just on a Sunday, all the time. And the amazing priesthood of Christ, also in Hebrews 4. There is no need for an earthly high priest. Therefore, says the writer, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. So there's a quick summary, if you like, of all those really basic foundational things that they should have known and should have been resting on and should have been building their lives on. They should have done. And at the, at somewhere there in 5 verses 11 and 12, he says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, even though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not food. Okay? So, were they like this? What's that? Anybody recognize that picture? Speak up, I can't hear you. Baby birds, what are they doing? Gimme, 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 gimme. They have to be fed. They can't feed themselves. Or, should they have been like this? Should they have been going out after their food? This is what the writer is saying. You should be teachers by now. What is it? You need milk and not solid food? It's a challenge to us as well. Which one am I? Am I gimme, gimme, gimme? Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Or am I, I'm going to go out and get some food for myself. Surely, by now, the writer says, you should be able to feed yourselves. So here we are then in chapter 6. Gosh, we've finally got to the point of this whole preach. Um, here we are in chapter 6 and these verses, these two verses, 1 and 2, which we're going to deal with and look at some of these ABCs and so on of the faith over the next few weeks. Why? 
Do we think that you're all completely like chicks? No. But we need to have these things firm in our minds, firm in our lives. Why? So that we can share that with other people. I don't know how confident you feel um, to be able to go and serve with the impact team and stand out there on the street knowing that one day somebody might come along and say, so why should I believe in this Jesus then? Speak to Taya. <laughs> or Simon. <laughs> There's a team. So it's, it's about understanding those things. So we're, we're making sure our foundations are in a good place as an encouragement. As an encouragement. So this short text there, here the writer, those first two verses in six, is breaking off to give them some stark warnings of not continually having to deal with the ABCs of faith. And if you don't know what those are, we're going to come back to them. He's saying, look, lack of progress is bad enough. But, you know, this letter seems to suggest they're tempted to throw the whole thing away. We're going to use this text to examine what truth we should possess, what we should have bolted down firm in our lives in order to build on that, but also to see what we should be witnessing out into the world. What truths are those? There they are. We've just been through them. Those are the things which we rest our life, our our faith on. The supremacy of Christ. His humanity. That he's greater than Moses, greater than anyone else. That we need to encourage each other to avoid unbelief. And the Sabbath rest we have is not just about Sunday. It's not about not going shopping on Sunday. It's knowing the rest in our lives every single moment. And it's about the priesthood of Christ. I don't need to go to somebody with a special uniform, special costume, or with special qualifications in order to get my prayers answered, in order for my sins to be forgiven, in order for all those things, I can go direct to the source in Christ. And you can too, every single one of you. You can too. So the first part of those two verses then, we're looking at the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Hence this kind of dead acts idea. Okay, so I'm going to show you now a little video. If you remember nothing, you'll remember this, and you'll think, what on earth was he going on about? And then I'm going to explain it. I think they're much for muchness, really. We are asking Mrs. Stone to try Ariel for three washes. We'll keep some of her laundry done in her current powder to compare. Time's up. Look carefully and compare. Ooh, my goodness. What a difference. Hasn't it made it cleaner? Look at the gravy stain left by my powder. You know, the Ariel wash had a gravy stain too. So how do you feel about Ariel? Delighted. I, I think it's marvellous. I mean, it's not often one sort of says, oh yes, that's better than that. something I've been using. That's because Ariel's biological. It digests dirt and stains ordinary powders leave behind. So what powder will you use from now on? Ariel. (laughs) Ariel washes a whole lot cleaner because it's biological. Tony, you've lost it now. They're all going. They had a choice. Those people, like us, had a choice. You remember the advert, don't you? Are you going to swap your this new Ariel back for your old powder? 
What were they doing? They were turning back to the old powder. The old stuff which didn't do anywhere near such a job. In fact, this is trivial. This is trivial. But it's a hook for you to try and remember. Okay? What you have, what they had in faith in Christ, blasts that completely out of existence. You don't need this horrible old claggy powder to try and clean up your life when you can turn to Jesus. Would you return to the way you were before you knew Christ? Thank you, Taya. (laughs) Hallelujah. No. But that's what was going on. They were losing it. And that was the question facing the Hebrews. And that was the question and the challenge that the writer wanted to pose to them. Were they returning to their own ways? Ways that lead to death. Why would they do that when they know Christ, when they've met him, when they know what they have in their lives available to them every single moment of the day? No, 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 says the writer. What are you doing? No. So what's the answer? The answer is repentance. He says, repent from that stuff. Chuck it out. Get rid of it. We don't need that anymore. We don't want it. There needs to be a foundation of repentance. Repentance from what? For the people he was writing to, to those Hebrews, the repentance was turning away again from their old ways, from religion. Now, I use that term religion in the sense of stuff that's dead. Practices, observances, all of those kinds of things, which is dead and leads to death because the only way to life is through Christ. They had left behind the idea of a living relationship with God, enabled through Jesus' sacrifice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go back to these old ways of religious observance. But, this is what the writer says, how much more than that stuff, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That's on further on in Hebrews 9, because he expands on this all through the book. How much more? How much better is the way in Christ than all of those things you knew previously? How much better is that? How much better is the new way than the old way of sticky, gucky washing powder? The stains on those clothes They're all gone in Christ. The stains on my heart, the stains on my life, my unrighteousness, my sin, to use a a biblical, religious kind of word, my rejection and rebellion against God, the nastiness that's in me is completely washed away. Not by a biological washing powder, but by the Spirit of God through Jesus, through his sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
What were these dead acts? Well, if you read around in that chapter and you read your concordances and, and, and your, and your um, translations and so on, this is also translated as useless rituals. Useless rituals. And so here's this, this, this highly educated Hellenistic Jew, Greek-speaking Jew, who knew all of the history and tradition saying, that stuff is religion and dead and useless to you now because you have Christ. Those things don't arise from faith and love towards God. They don't arise from that. Do you know, Judaism was and is full of ritual, but its purpose was always to do what? Point, point to God, point to Christ. Jesus is there through the whole Bible. Always to point to Christ. The Old Testament was never meant to be God's final word on salvation. Hallelujah. Otherwise, we'd all be living very different lives right now. The Old Testament isn't God's final word. The very fact, if you like, that cleansing, atonement, etc. had to be done repeatedly over and over again, repeatedly offered, points to the incompleteness of that as an answer for you and for me. It's not complete. What kind of God can't finish the job? Do you want to worship a God who can't finish the job? No. I want to worship a God who is supreme. Who does it? Who can say, it is finished? Even when God calls on human judges to bring back the people, they keep falling away again. And they cry out for something more effective. He brings kings, which are essentially a substitute for personal responsibility because they abdicate it to the king. You know, that didn't do a good job either. They, they rebelled against them. So the whole thing falls apart. The kingdoms of, of Israel are conquered and the people are scattered into exile. It did not work, but that's all part of God's plan for them and for you and for me. So why go back to that stuff when you have the option of Jesus. Don't throw faith in Christ away, he says. The presence of Jesus in heaven, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the place of Jesus in heaven, seated at the right hand of Father God, is enough, and it demonstrates the completeness of the work that Christ has done. Not hope in things that are past their sell-by date. For the Hebrews, then, that meant putting away once and for all the trappings of religious Judaism. They had been freed from all of those rituals. The, the law is no longer on tablets of stone. The law is now written on their hearts. It's written on your heart if you know Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. There's no more need to rely on any earthly high priests to atone for them once a year. Jesus has done that once and for all. And in both senses of the word, once and for all time and once and for all people. Why does the writer say that these acts lead to death? Because in no way can we, by any work, by any ritual or any observance, save ourselves. Can we? I can't do it. There's no way I can do that. I have to put my faith in the one who can do it, Jesus. 
the Son of God. And if we can't save ourselves, he's saying, then we're ultimately dead. So if we go down that avenue of trying to do it by works, trying to do it by observance, by ritual, that's going to lead to death. It cannot save us. Let's think what that means for us today. Because we're not all Jews, are we? We're not all used to that ritual and that observance. We're not being rescued out of that situation. We've come from a very different place. What this is saying for the Christian today is this. Don't turn away from the freedoms of your new life in Christ Jesus and lean towards a set of rituals or observances. Perhaps even deeper and more than that, it's saying, don't let love become obligation. Wow. Don't let love become obligation. Why are you here this morning? (coughs) I could ask a lot of people that. I'm going to answer it myself. Why are you here this morning? Are you here because it's the Sunday thing to do? (coughs) Are you here because you've always done it and so that's what you're always going to do? Are you here because your parents brought you Are you here because your parents used to bring you along and now you come? Are you here because of some obligation or wrong place sense of duty? Or are you here because you love God? Are you here because Jesus has entered your life and touched your heart and melted it? And so when you come and when you sing those worship something explodes out from the very depth of your being that cannot be stopped. Do you come even when you're feeling rubbish because you know that when you start to worship, the Spirit will rise in you and you will connect with the power source that you need for your life? Do you come when you're full of joy so much that you can't even express it, but you want to sing to God your thanks and your praise? Do you come for reasons of love not reasons of obligation. This is an amazing, amazing, powerful scripture. You've been reading that maybe while I've been saying these things. Romans 12.1. Therefore, Paul has gone through a huge argument for the first 11 chapters of Romans. And if you want to know what he's got to say, pick up Romans. You will not be disappointed. He says this, Paul writes Romans, he says, Therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not religious observance, not going to meetings, per se, for the sense of duty or obligation, But actually, your worship is to give your whole self. No longer a sacrifice of animals or grain or any of those things which which Israel had to do, but actually yourself. All of you given to God out of love for what he's done in view of God's mercy. Jesus calls us to a living faith. Why? Because he himself is alive. 
Jesus is alive. We've been singing about some of those things. We've been singing about the amazing glory of God and what he's done through Christ and how we stand on him in some of those songs this morning. We've been praising God because of that. Jesus is alive. He started to breathe. He was raised from the dead. This is you know, a singular moment in history. And when we believe that, when we put our faith in that, things change for you and for me. It's not dead works that you're called to. You know, Jesus has fulfilled every and all obligations of the law. And when we put our trust in him, that is impugned to us as righteousness. So no, it's not dead works that you're called to. Jesus has called you to life to the full. The fullest life you could ever possibly imagine in him. And without any fudges, I don't know if you've ever come across any people you know, who still live in the Jewish faith of what they do on the Sabbath to try and make sure it's not classed as work. One of our um, lecturers at college w- w- was in that mould and they would do things like they'd put a metal sheet across the oven, across the, the hob, and the fire would be lit underneath, but they couldn't see it. And so they could cook on top of it because you weren't allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath. That's just a silly little example. But that's the kind of dead stuff that God has has released us from through Christ. There's no fudges. We don't have to worry about whether we can travel on the Sabbath, whether we can heat the house, because that involves lighting a fire, or whatever, on any of these things. Remember when the Pharisees attacked Jesus because he, he, he rubbed a bit of corn? So we could eat some wheat, he just rubbed the husks off it. And they came on him like a ton of bricks, Look at what you're doing. You're threshing grain on the Sabbath. What did Jesus say? No, no. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Get it the right way around. That's the kind of release that Jesus has placed on you in your life. Whatever. Every day is Sabbath for you. In Jesus, every day is Sabbath. You have that freedom. Bands, you need to come up and, and, and get behind me here and, and, and start to think about what we're going to do next because the act that the writer calls us to and called those Hebrews to was repentance. Repentance means something like turning around and going the other way. We understand it in the Christian context of turning our life around from going our way to going God's way. In this sense, it's from acts that lead to death to the life that Christ has brought for us. Turning to Christ. I have to ask you then, have you made that complete surrender to God and reliance on Jesus? Have you turned to Christ? I said I'd come back to the ABCs. If you want to know the ABCs of salvation, there's a very easy way to to remember that. A is to acknowledge that Jesus is supreme. We talked about that earlier. He is Lord. Do you know what? He's Lord of me. You may not be the boss of me, but God actually is because I've given him that authority in my life. Jesus is the Lord. He is supreme. We have to acknowledge that. We then have to believe, his our B, that Jesus alone, nobody else, nothing else, no works, 
No observances. Jesus alone is able to save. We can be released from that stuff. We don't have to do any of it. Jesus alone. We have to believe and put our trust in that. Acknowledge that Jesus is supreme. Believe that he is alone, both able and sufficient. Nothing else. And then there's a C, which is to confess. We confess Jesus in our heart. It's got to come from the heart. We can confess all kinds of things with our mouths, but it has to come from the heart. There needs to be that heart conviction of these things, that Jesus is supreme, that he is the Son of God, that we will believe that only he can rescue us and save us and confess that first in our heart and then outwards in our mouths. And we need, maybe, to repent from some of those works and obligations. Is Christ alone your salvation? Are you free from the dead stuff? religious stuff, the stuff that says you must, you have, I feel I have to come, oh I've always come, all of those things that, that we have to break bread in a particular way, any of that stuff, we should always be looking out that we don't put barriers between us and Jesus in dead works. I'm going to put a prayer up, actually, and you can join that in, you can join in with me on that if you like. I'm going to put it up because it helps, doesn't it, to see what we're saying. And sometimes we like to see what that is before we say it because, you know what, I could be saying anything here. And you need to be able to echo this in your heart, not just say it because you've been told. That again is a dead work. So there's a prayer we can do here. I'm going to read this. Please read it. Do you want to stand at this point? Does that feel like a good thing to do? And then we're going to go into some worship, and there'll be a time of ministry if you want that. I'm going to read this. There's three slides, first of all. Read it along with me. Here we go. Jesus, you are sufficient for me. I have no need to earn your love, acceptance, or salvation through any ritual, observance, works, or deeds. I have access to my Father God through your sacrifice alone and freely accept your love. I enter into your presence with thanksgiving, not guilt or shame. I freely admit my shortcomings in the knowledge that you have forgiven me and I am washed clean. I renounce any and all sense of obligation and choose to respond to you in love, pure and simple. Jesus, come and rule in me today. Do you want to start playing band? I hope that's a prayer that you've been able to say. Maybe it's a prayer that you've said for the very first time. Maybe it's a prayer that you've said again today with a real sense of wanting to recommit your life to who God is, in who you are in him, and what he is to you. I want to give you the opportunity as we sing this last song to come to the front. If you want to come and seal that confession with prayer together, please come and do that. And don't wait till the end of the song, because then we're going to clear the chairs. Come now with that sense of urgency and call. 
I'm going to ask anybody who's a small group leader, Mike and Taya, Roz, uh, David and Kathy, those who are part of our, our, our wider leadership team, if the needs be, to come and pray with me if, any, if, if we get a rush. But please, if you feel you want to seal that, come to the front now and let's pray. Thank you.